You are now listening to the Hot Take Podcast, brought to you by Full Time Fantasy. Here are your hosts, Stephen Taroni and Josh Daddy. Time to make it hot. Oh, hey. Welcome in. Thanks for listening to the Hot Take Podcast, part of the Full-Time Fantasy Network of Podcasts. I am your host, Josh Daly, and you can find me at joshdaly72 on Twitter. And no worries, friends. The brains of this operation is here with me. He's just riding shotgun today and letting me take the driver's seat here as we kind of get a little bit crazy on this episode, switching things up on you guys. And of course, I'm referring to none other than my co-host, Mr. Stephen Taroni. Steve, what's good, man? How you feeling on this 4th of July weekend, sir? Dude, that was the best intro we've had in so long. And I feel like our <laughs> listeners are probably like, wait, when did Steven's voice get so sexy? Like, I don't remember the smooth silkiness in the voice. So I think they were a little confused. Thanks for clearing that up for them. <laughs> hey, man, just uh, just doing my best and, you know, excited to uh, be here with you as always. But Hey, man, even more excited because of our guest. We brought in the big guns today. Very excited to bring on our next guest here. Many of you know him as uh, one of the bosses out there in the Dynasty streets. Yeah, you may have heard him on the Dynasty Blueprint with Matt Williamson. And you may have encountered him on uh, his website, DLF, well, you know where they're currently running the Champions Cup series. Uh, or maybe he's got in touch with you and uh, has had to assist you in getting signed up for your Scott Fishbowl team team so we'll you know i don't know if uh that ever happens ryan but uh you can find him on twitter at ryan mc 23 of course i'm talking about the dynasty og ryan mcdowell ryan i know you're a busy guy man we appreciate you coming on welcome and thanks yeah guys thanks for having me yeah we we've we've got a few guys who who need a little special assistance with sfb uh but but it's not too bad we're, we're glad to get everybody in there excited to draft uh coming up next week yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's right around the corner here as uh, we all sit down here to record this episode. And I am fired up. Uh, this is only my second time participating, but man, it was so much fun last year. Absolutely looking forward to it, man. And, uh, you know, we kind of want to pick your brain about this here. Uh, you know, since this, this is fully upon us, man, um, you know, this has to be just absolute craziness uh, with you and Scott Fish. Uh, kind of setting this up now. How long? How long ago did he uh, bring you in and ask for your assistance with Scott Fishbowl? Uh, this is probably my third or fourth year helping out, and um, I mean, of course, this this was something that Scott started uh, ten years ago. Now, actually, I think eleven years ago. I think this is the eleventh year and the and the tenth uh, the tenth SFB, if if I'm correct on that. Um, but this is is a league that Scott started on his own, obviously, and uh, really just grew and grew every year, uh, more and more teams joining and and being added each year. And, and it just got to a point where, uh, I mean, it, Scott obviously needed, needed a little help running it. I was glad to uh, jump in and help him. Uh, we're, we're both, you know, we both commissioned a, a ton of leagues on MFL. So just some of that, um, you know, just some of that busy work of setting up leagues. Uh, that's kind of what I started helping him with, uh, just entering names and emails, you know, that fun stuff that you that you get to do when you're starting a new league. Um, and then it kind of grew last year, really started 
helping him more with sending invites and, and kind of helping throughout the process, not just jumping in at the end. But uh, yeah, it's it's been a few years now. It's it's a blast. I love what he's uh, what he's done with the league, and I'm just glad to help out in any way I can. Yeah, right on. And the uh, it's got to be just kind of like organized chaos here. What's kind of like the full timeline from when you guys you know sit down and actually start building and you know laying down ideas, um, you know, until the time when we arrive to the draft here? Like, what's that full timeline look like? Yeah, it starts. It starts pretty early. You know, it starts certainly before most people are thinking about um, a, a redraft league or anything like that. Um, I would say, I guess it's probably March or maybe early April that we kind of started talking about it. And, and Scott has done so much of, of this work in the background, um, setting up uh, setting up a website that that houses all the signups and um, just doing doing a lot of coding things that that I, I certainly could not help with, uh, unfortunately. But so much so much of the process has been automated. Um, I, basically, I was I was able to look through the full list of signups, and and he's got them sorted by uh, analysts and fans. Uh, so I was able to to look through that and um, you know with one click of a button, basically add people to the league. So just the um, the the ease of that 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 he was he was able to set up really helps the process, and uh, it's it's probably not quite as um, you know not quite as tough as maybe some people think on, on that piece. Uh, but then once once you get all the invites out and and get everybody added, then you're actually setting up the MFL leagues, and that's that's kind of where the work comes in. And again, it's, it's not hard work. It's, it's just tedious, you know, again, yeah. entering those names and emails, uh, 1,440 times. So uh, <laughs> the, the point we're at now, we're, um, as, as of this recording, we're four or five days away from the actual draft and, uh, it, it's starting to slow down. Luckily, um, it's really, it's just now making sure everybody has logged in. I reached out to about 75 people today that had not logged in, just saying, if, if you want to play, log in. If you don't, let us know. We actually yeah. had a handful of, of folks drop out and, and say they, they were going out. So uh, that's that's good news for uh, for a few other people who are going to get that golden ticket late in the game. Yeah, absolutely, man. And uh, if you guys want to listen to more of that, of course, you guys did an excellent episode of Commission Impossible, where you guys kind of broke it down. And, um, you know, one thing that's widely talked about and known now is the scoring settings, but you went over the scoring settings on that episode as well. And Steve, I'll throw it to you on this. Uh, you know, the scoring settings already, my man. Um, you know, what are you looking at as far as like, general strategy? And, and then uh, Ryan, we'll throw it to you and kind of get your thoughts on it as well. Well, I'll just comment real quick, Ryan. Um, you know, it, it only it gets crazier every year because already the Scott Fishbowl eleven signups are at like something like fourteen hundred names around there. Maybe exceed that by now. Last I checked, uh, you know, hours ago. So it feels like you know, with everyone spreading the word of fantasy cares and the league, um, you know, it really is cool how it kind of grows every year. Um, but that being said, for this year. With any draft, I just go in and I draft how I usually draft. 
for the most part. I mean, it is a super flex league. So that off of the jump, you know, I, I already know that I have to get quarterback earlier than I necessarily want to. But for the most part, for the most part, I am building my depth. I mean, in this league, there are a lot of flex spots that you have to start every week. So those running backs and receivers are very important. As much as we need to look at those onesie positions, you know, for Superflex, the the twosie. Um, but you know, I I really draft those positions still later than most. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, Ryan, I know the uh, the scoring settings kind of look like they're a, maybe a little bit similar to SFB eight, um, you know, kind of what, what are your thoughts on that? And also kind of, uh, I'll ask you the same thing as Steve, you know, what's kind of, you know, without giving away all the secret sauce, uh, what's kind of like your general strategy for this year? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I wish I had the secret sauce. First of all, I, I <laughs> honestly have done um, zero prep so far for SFB. Uh, I am uh, leaving on vacation a couple of days before the draft starts, so we'll see if I can uh, can carve out some time to come up with a plan. But the the good news is there are so many people out there in the industry that uh, are are putting out content, you know, podcast and uh, spreadsheets. I know Rotoviz has has an entire basically section of their website dedicated to tools for SFBX. Uh, Addison Hayes has some historical data that he has available and uh, on top of that podcast and articles and and everything else. So the information is all out there. I just need to, uh, I need to try to consume it soon. But the the main thing, the main difference with the scoring this year is of course uh, around quarterback position Um, with, with the sacks and, and the completion percentage. So it's, it's really, um, you know, last year we kind of had that video game scoring where really all the positions were were pumped up and we had some crazy scores from week to week. Uh, we're not going to see that this year. And in, in fact, you know, don't be surprised when you look at that box score on, on a random week and see your quarterback with negative points. Uh, that's that's going to happen. So you've got to be really careful with that quarterback uh, position. I think it's going to uh, enhance the value of the top guys it's going to honestly it's going to make some of those quarterbacks that we consider the top guys maybe lose a little value um it's a negative one point for every sack you think about the sack leaders from last year uh, some some of our favorite quarterbacks that we like to draft uh, fairly early in the draft are uh, are on that list deshaun watson and kyler murray and uh, matt ryan guys like that took a ton of sacks last year so you've got to be careful with uh with those types of players i think it honestly i think it makes uh, patrick mahomes and lamar jackson worth even more uh and maybe maybe even separates that gap uh, or or makes that gap even larger than it was before um so it's it's certainly going to be a challenge i I've got the first pick. I, I think even, you know, with all that being said, I think I'm still taking Christian McCaffrey, but I'm, I'm not sold on that yet. Yeah, hundred percent. Steve and I, of course, both uh, rostered CMC last year and, you know, rode him to conference finalist appearances, which was fantastic, uh, especially for me, like being in my first year, I uh, definitely wasn't expecting that, but you know, it's funny thing that you said, Ryan was it, it's, it's hard not to stumble across some sort of like, 
SFBX prep. Um, you know, just for example, shout out to friend of the show, Jeff Lambert from going for two.com. He set up a you know group chat for all of us that are drafting uh, at the opposite turn at the 12 spot. And just for, for example, uh, you know, we are one of three podcasts just drafting out of the 12 spot that are recording an SFBX episode right now as we speak. So <laughs> just a little, nice. little food for thought there on that. I thought that was pretty <laughs> interesting. I've, I've got a, uh, I've got a 10 hour drive on Saturday, so uh, I'll, I'll have to catch up on all of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Plenty of time to listen. That's for sure. Now the, uh, you know, it seems like there's some kind of uh, popularity, people talking about, you know, zero wide receiver. It's definitely going to be interesting how it unfolds. I'm with Steve. I'm not, I'm personally, I'm not unpacking a whole lot of like random or exotic strategies. I'm going to kind of stick close to my guys that I like. And, um, you know, but when we, once we get past like those first three turns for me personally, you know, I'm just, I, I'm going for home run guys, man. So I'm, I'm hoping that uh, we can get enough of those to make it work. Uh, you know, speaking of that, I know everybody kind of had, we had Gary Haddow last year's champion on recently, and he's talked about uh, some of his keys to success. And one thing I noticed that, um, you know, all three of us that were on that particular episode had in common is we all hit on some late round targets. Um, you're, you know, like in my example, I hit on some fab, uh, fab lottery tickets, but uh, late round targets seem to be kind of like the lifeblood for having some good success and kind of nailing the draft here. Um, Steve, I know you definitely hit on a couple of guys last year. Do you, do either of you guys have kind of some late round targets that you're thinking of in the back of your mind already? Ryan, you can start off. Yeah, I, I don't know that I do. Honestly, um, I, I hit on a couple last year as well. Um, I know I got Daniel Jones in the, um, in the mid double digit rounds and with that, you know, with the super flex format, that was, uh, that was a big deal, especially because I had drafted uh, Big Ben and, and Drew Brees as my as my two starters. So I needed uh, I needed Jones and and really more than that. But um, that's probably I, I kind of find myself slanting uh, back to my dynasty mindset with those late uh, those late round guys. Uh, you know, grabbing sometimes rookies and in, in that case with Jones, uh, but just young guys in general that I could see uh, earning role. So um, though it's not necessarily planned yet, I mean, a lot of these rookie running backs look like they are going to be at at worst, the RB twos on their team, Um, you know, Kelly and um, uh, McFarland and uh, gosh, there's, there's so many and I can't even think of, think of them right now. Antonio Gibson, guys like that. So those will probably end up being the the players that I target in the later rounds. I'm so glad you mentioned Josh Kelly. Uh, you know, I, I, I have so many shares of Josh Kelly right now <laughs> and it's mostly spread out through best ball. Um, you know, it, it's in both of my dynasty startups that I've done uh, in the off season so far, I have Josh Kelly. So I just, I can kind of also see a role paved out for him um, just being just understanding that Austin Eckler isn't a guy who's going to get 250 carries. Just understanding right. that alone makes Josh Kelly interesting to me. I know there's a lot of Justin Jackson truthers. I think jo- you know Jackson will get some run, but Josh Kelly is more of that thumper, uh, and it kind of plays into some you know what Tyrod Taylor wants to do. Tyrod Taylor, another guy who I, I want to get late. No one is drafting Tyrod Taylor 
Um, so he's going to be one of the later quarterbacks, starting quarterbacks for week one that goes off the board. Um, so I'm actually looking at somebody like Tyrod Ty Taylor and Dwayne Haskins, who, you know, just perpetually falls in these uh, Scott Fishbowl mocks. Um, and I, I can get him as my third quarterback. You know, if I get him as my QB2, I'm not that upset about it. He plays the Eagles week one. I saw somewhere, I think it was on Yahoo, that he was projected for 12 points in week one against the Eagles. I would say that's an over for sure. So I'm okay, to, you know, getting him as my QB2, but you're probably going to get him as your QB3. So I really like Dwayne Haskins this year. Nice. like that call. Uh, speaking of some other later on quarterbacks, um, it's a, some recent news. Uh, guy that was going very, very late. Guy I took a flyer on in a couple best ball leagues. Uh, was going undrafted in some leagues, but uh, Cam Newton, of course, signing with the New England Patriots. And you know, we we talked about this when we had Joe Pisapia on the show. Uh, not surprised at all. You know, same thing I said. The Patriots are going to sign him super cheap. You know, it's it's disgusting that they they're getting this good of a deal. And of course, he's probably just going to go to the Pro Bowl. And you know, I expect him to absolutely ball out revenge style with this quote-unquote incentive-laden contract here that he signed. Uh, just absolutely ridiculous. Uh, the rich get richer. Uh, just when we think the Pats are down and out, they they only land Cam Newton, who's just a few years removed from his MVP. And I don't know, just like the best goal line back in the NFL. Um, <laughs> Ryan, I'll throw it to you first to get kind of like a your dynasty spin on this. And then Steve, I'll throw it to you to kind of get like the, uh, the redraft spin on this. Uh, so Ryan, we'll go to you first here. Uh, what, what do you think that Cam Newton, where is he at right now with this, with this new news of him going to New England? Well, he's, he's certainly trending up, you know, over the, just the past few days. But I mean, you look at his, his dynasty ADP last month, he was quarterback 28. Um, and, and I'm sure his, his redraft uh, ADP and redraft value was, was similar. So like you said, I mean, we all kind of knew this was coming. Um, I don't want to say it's too late to buy Cam if if you're interested, but we certainly should have been buying before this, you know, a speculative buy. Uh, but I think he he's quarterback 28 last month. He he's got obviously some room to grow. I, I think he gets up into the uh, the early 20s, maybe the the late teens as far as ADP and. Um, and that's about what I would expect as far as production as well. Um, obviously, a, a lot uh, of changes coming for him, for the Patriots. But up until last year, this is a player that, that we could always count on, right? I mean, he's um, he, he had never missed more than two games in a season prior to last year. He had never been uh, worse than quarterback 18 in a season. And, and even that number uh, a few years ago was a major outlier. Most of his, uh, most of his seasons, he's been a top 12 quarterback. So uh, I, we're seeing him uh, climb in value, but uh, not, maybe not as quickly as, um, as, as you would expect. So there's, there's still some buying time and, um, you know who who knows where he'll end up going in in SFB. That's that's probably the the big question that a lot of us are facing soon. Well, I'm not scared, bro. I'm not scared at all. I'm uh, I'm very excited if he were to end up on my SFB team. But you know, I think some of this has to do with maybe recency bias. I, I just feel like that value should oh, be yeah. climbing a little more a little more steadily. But people have to realize, man, like 
you know, he got hurt in the preseason. He was never right. I mean, Steven redraft, you have to kind of wipe the slate clean, look at him in this ideal situation. And I mean, I don't know about you. We talked about this a little bit, you know, back when Joe was on the show, but I mean, people want to say, oh yeah, he's just going into the situation where he doesn't have any, any weapons. Dude, I don't know, man. Like he's always been the offense. He's always been the, the focal point in the center. I mean, he won, he had no supporting cast at Auburn and won a championship. Uh, he took the Panthers to the Super Bowl, throwing to Devin Funches. I mean, and Ted Ginn, come on. Like, you know, his best receiver he's ever had, uh, you know, is, was it like what? DJ Moore's rookie year? I mean, so yeah. what, what are you thinking about? Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, Steve Smith most likely is best receiver ever uh, that he's had. Um, but with Cam and, you know, going back to something you said, Ryan, for a speculative ad, uh, that's Antonio Brown right now. That's the speculative ad that we need to be thinking about. And I keep forgetting about <laughs> at the end of like best ball drafts or anything and the, these Scott Fishbowl mocks. I'm forgetting about Antonio Brown. I need to stop it. I need to write it somewhere because <laughs> the 14th, 15th round, I mean, you know, there's a lot, you know, that's you don't really want to draft. Uh, Antonio Brown could be a league winner. Um, but for Cam, you know, it's very interesting. I think I'm going to try to get him in dynasty from the guy who thinks that his arm is dead and that he can't produce in the NFL anymore because when he, you know, was an MVP, he had 35 touchdowns, passing touchdowns. That was an outlier. He's probably never going to throw 30 touchdowns again. Uh, but what he had was a great defense. And now he's walking into that in new England and Bill Belichick, if you know, this all works out right. Bill Belichick is going to use Cam Newton correctly and he's going to run him into the ground. He has him for one year, a uh, very cheap one year. You know, we might see, you know, over 120 rushing attempts from Cam Newton this year. I'm looking at him uh, as very interesting just because we know that, you know, the Patriots will be able to get into the red zone. Um, you know, he's going to be the red zone back in a lot of cases, you know, so I really love the fact that they're going to run the option a lot. You know, that's what I see for for Cam Newton on this team is like it's going to be like a high school high school style offense almost in that they're going to run the option. They're going to run the Wildcat. Uh, they have dynamic backs with James White, Sony Michelle, Damian Harris. Uh, Damian Harris should be another add at the end of Scott Fishbowl drafts uh, because Sony could go down and Damian Harris is going to get a lot of work. Uh, with Cam Newton. And as we talk about in the show, the, the rushing quarterback, you know, the, the running back benefits. So I like Sony Michelle actually a lot more right now than I did. Um, I think people are talking about James White. I would prefer Sony. Uh, and, you know, he, he's hurt. So if you if you want to handcuff him in, in a situation like a deep roster league, like a Scott Fishbowl with a Damian Harris, I'm all for that. But I think this offense it can be pretty productive on the ground with Cam Newton at the helm. Yeah. Couldn't agree more, man. I mean, just very excited to see what Belichick and Josh McDaniels can do. I mean, these guys are not uh, going to hold back at all with Cam Newton, and I'm, I'm excited to kind of see what they draw up. And real quick, uh, shout out to our buddy down in deep south Georgia, T.S. Fizzle, who had the first pick in our hot take inaugural beat the, uh, beat the pros, yeah. uh, pros versus Joes. Um, not only did he get the first pick and uh, get to snag him some CMC, uh, he took a shot on Cam uh, in the 11th round after we basically, uh, you know, emptied the cupboards uh, uh, <laughs> with yeah. all the other quarterbacks. Uh, he he hits there, 
Uh, and of course, he was fortunate enough to be on the clock when the Rob Gronkowski news uh, broke. So he was oh, able to, to get quite the haul. So, sifting uh, the value. Sifting the value. Yeah, just, <laughs> just absolutely tearing it up. Uh, so that is good stuff there. Uh, kudos to him. And uh, speaking of dynasty drafts, uh, Ryan, obviously, man, that's we gotta have we gotta pick your your brain here, man. We gotta get some thoughts here on the dynasty uh, situation here and kind of the landscape in general. And you know, we just talked about the uh, Pros versus Joes uh, podcast league that we did here just after uh, during the actually it was right before the draft, uh, the NFL draft, but. You know, this was a great startup draft. I had a ton of fun doing it. It was my first one uh, in a couple years. And just it made me it made me think like, you know, back in the day, we used to just like pound receivers. And early in this draft, you know, I unintentionally ended up doing the same thing. But, you know, it doesn't seem like that's a super popular strategy nowadays. So like for you personally, how has kind of your general approach to startup drafts changed? since you kind of started off, you know, on the dynasty scene compared to now in 2020. Yeah, it's changed a ton for sure. Um, well, when I, when I started playing, I and mean, we're talking uh, 15 years ago, maybe a little bit more than that. Um, that was, that was a time where it's not the dynasty was new necessarily, but it, it just wasn't, it wasn't as mainstream as it is right now. So really what you would see is um, you would see dynasty drafts look almost exactly like a redraft. Uh, People weren't, players weren't very concerned with age. They weren't chasing youth like they are now. Uh, And and that was a a time, you know, I don't know if you guys were, were playing uh, that long ago, but that was a time when running backs were king. So, I almost had uh, in in my first dynasty leagues uh, way back then. I I almost had like a set plan of four straight running backs. Uh, fifth round, I would uh, I would grab a quarterback. Sixth round, I would get my first wide receiver, and then kind of go from there. And I mean, you could do that then. That that was a pretty common plan. And of course. Uh, as as kind of years went on, we saw uh, we saw the the talent die off at the running back position. We saw more injuries. We saw more running back by committees, uh, and all of those things led to the wide receiver surge that we saw uh, probably about five years ago or so that that you were referencing. And yeah, I mean, I, I'd have to look at our our DLF ADP from back then, but it it was pretty common to have ten wide receivers in the first round of your startup drafts at that point. Um, and, and that's, that's what I was doing like everybody else hammering those wide receivers and completely shifted away from the running backs and would take three, four, five, six wide receivers sometimes to start my, um, to start my team. And that's about the same time for redraft leagues that Sean Siegel wrote the zero RB, uh, article that, that really, you know, really changed the, um, the fantasy industry as a whole. Um, and then, I, I mean, I kind of piggybacked on, on his idea and with some of the same thoughts, applying them to dynasty. Um, but, but now we we've seen it shift back in the NFL and just like it was uh, that that happened because of a lack of running back talent. 
now we're seeing a shift because of the an influx of running back talent. It it started slowly with, um, you know, with Todd Gurley, and then with, um, with Ezekiel Elliott coming into the league, and then the 2017 class really, really just changed uh, the way we play the way we play fantasy and the way we play dynasty uh, with with McCaffrey and uh, Cook and Kamara and Mixon and Fournette and all those guys. So now it's it's really just kind of a, a total shift. You're seeing seven, eight, nine, ten running backs being drafted, and and the wide receiver pool is so deep that you can wait until the third, fourth, fifth round to get your your wide receiver. I'm I'm looking at our uh, brand new July ADP data right now, and uh, DK Metcalf last pick in the in the third round, Calvin Ridley in the fourth round, Amari Cooper in the fourth round, uh, Cortland Sutton fourth round. So why draft a first or a second round wide receiver when you can get first round talents that late? So drafting drafting running backs in round one and two and, and then hammering wide receivers, I think is, is kind of the chalk play in Dynasty right now. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting to kind of see how the whole paradigm has shifted in dynasty. Cause you know, I, I think my first league was 2013 and it was very receiver heavy up top. And, you know, yeah. it's uh, really, really interesting to see, you know, and, and now we're to the point where literally the only dynasty league that I don't, uh, or the only league I play in that's not a dynasty is my home league uh, that I've been running since 2003. So it's like, um, you know, I just say for any, for any guys out there that haven't ran a, uh, played in dynasty league, you know, you are definitely missing out. Um, so let's play, let's do something fun here. Like we're, we're going to imagine like Scott Fishbowl is a dynasty league. So we got a dynasty startup coming up here, Ryan. And, um, we'll just say here, here we go. It's kicking off in a few days here. Uh, you know, what is your ideal roster construction type? And, um, you know, it's up to you if you want to kind of explain like the different kinds of builds, um, you know, like productive struggles and et cetera. Um, but like, what would you be aiming for to kind of, you know, how do how would you kind of put your team together? Yeah. So productive struggle is, uh, is basically an article I wrote in 20, oh, thir- uh, 14, maybe or 15. It's been, it's been several years now. Uh, but the idea behind that is to, essentially punt on year one, uh, be willing to kind of take your lumps in year one. The idea behind that is to focus on uh, building your team around youth, around, at the time, wide receivers, um, again, because of some of the, some of the things we talked about, uh, but also to acquire uh, extra future rookie picks. And, uh, you know, if, if you execute it the right way, then you're, you're going to earn the 1.01. Uh, and and add basically a, a top twenty five talent overall to to your team. So it's almost like getting an extra, uh, you know, second or third round startup pick if you're willing to to take your losses in the first year. And, and I know many aren't, and and, and that's understandable. Um, so I think a lot of the a lot of the ideas I laid out in productive struggle are pretty commonplace now. Um, not the losing. Uh, still, most people are are not uh, not necessarily willing to to punt in that in, in that first year, but they are building around youth. They are trying to acquire future picks. Those two things are are pretty typical 
in in a lot of dynasty leagues. Um, so th those are the things I would do. I would uh, I, I want to focus on not drafting any uh, declining assets. So you know, Julio Jones in the third round is is not a pick I would ever make. Um, and we know we know he's he's going to produce in 2020. He's probably going to produce another two or three years at a high level. But his no matter how he produces, his value is going to fall off. It's going to decline. Um, so especially in, in the first half of the draft, if we're talking, um, you know, 24, 26, 30 rounds, the first basically the first 10 rounds or so, I'm not taking any players that I think are declining assets. And, and that doesn't mean, you know, that doesn't mean you don't miss. Obviously, we you make picks that that end up busting. But um, I'm focused on youth. I'm focused on players uh, that I think can can quickly gain value. Yeah, I love that. Love that approach. Steve, any thoughts? Yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's tough to it's tough for me for a player like me, a fantasy player like me, to overlook a a guy like Julio Jones in the third round. So I, I love that example that you bring up because, and it's also hard for me to take a loss, you know, in the first year. So I'm I'm going for a mix, right? So. I think I, I take the the more I guess balanced approach when it comes to age, um, and I, I try to have a good mix, of course. But it, it's interesting because if your strategy is that going into a draft, saying, "Hey, this you know, um, this productive struggle is my strategy going in," you're going to have the advantage at what you're going for. If you want the youth, well, you're going to get your DK Metcalfs and players like that that are going at value because people aren't targeting them like you are. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes a ton of sense. Now, when it comes to the running back position, Ryan, you kind of already hit on this. You know, it's just there's not a ton of workhorses these days. Um, but, you know, just kind of in general, I mean, what's like your running back uh, philosophy when applying it from like a dynasty perspective? Well, there, there's not really those types of running backs, again, going back many years, like when I started playing Dynasty or even a few years ago, guys like uh, guys like uh, Todd Gurley, you know, there, there's not very many backs that have their backfields to themselves that are going to um, see see work in both as a as a runner and as a as a pass catcher, you know, guys like Zeke Elliott and, and Barkley are are pretty rare at this point. That's why they uh, they do carry so much value. But the the good that comes from that is uh, we get more running backs that have value. We get more running backs that are going to be on the field. Um, so it's just giving us more options, uh, giving us deeper options. Um, so as as far as my kind of general philosophy towards running backs in Dynasty. Um, if I get if I get a, that pick in uh, a new league that gets me one of those difference makers, then absolutely glad to have them. But in an in an existing league, I'm probably never going to buy uh, McCaffrey or Barkley or Zeke or or Kamara. I'm just just not going to pay the price for those guys. Instead, I'm I'm probably shopping for. Uh, volume. I'm trying to look for for discount guys. Sometimes that means uh, backup running backs with some upside. Sometimes it means um, cheaper veterans. 
You know, I mean, I think now is a great time to try to buy Gurley or Melvin Gordon uh, or Le'Veon Bell. Now, two or three years ago, I would I would not have considered that at all because of of the value that they uh, that they held. But now that there's a discount, and and I can kind of treat that almost like a redraft uh, mentality, then those are guys I would be looking at. I like that. I um, me personally. I have two things that I like to do when it comes to running backs. And one is if I am an owner of a running back that is coming off a, you know, quote unquote outlier season or, you know, a career year like Aaron Jones, for example, last season. Um, I, I just think that's impossible for him to have another season where he has what, like 19 touchdowns. Um, for me, he just reeked of an obvious sell high guy. Um, so I tend to get rid of guys like that. You mentioned Melvin Gordon earlier, um, you know, and it's funny because after he came off of his big touchdown season, I did the same thing with Melvin Gordon, um, you know, knowing that there were already whispers of a, you know, contract. So it's a uh, contract holdout, I should say. So it's, um, it's kind of interesting when it comes to guys that are currently on your roster and how you can look to turn those assets maybe into some future capital. Uh, but at the same time, you look at a guy like Melvin Gordon in our startup draft, um, you know, shout out to Ben Evie, one of the guys that was in our draft, uh, was doing, uh, you know, unintentionally just loaded up on QBs. Uh, and then the next thing you know, Marcus Grant's like overpaying him for a QB and he gets uh, Melvin Gordon just at an absolutely ridiculous price. So, uh, he, so yeah, so he's a perfect buy, buy low guy now. So uh, it's interesting to see how those uh, work out. And, you know, in startups, uh, particular, the second thing I like to do is I like to kind of go after the picks more so than, you know, the early running backs and didn't really intend to do that in our draft, uh, our startup that we did, but, you know, I ended up with uh, your guy, Juju Ryan in the second round. And then, uh, you know, nice. I ended up taking two of my next three picks in the third, uh, fourth round were both rookie picks and, you know, completely understanding that, you know, one of those was going to be a running back. And I didn't actually end up taking my first running back until round eight. So uh, just to kind of you know shed some light on that, I was one of the last teams to do that. Um, Steve, any thoughts on you know kind of the running back dynasty perspective? We had Ryan on early last year, and we did a uh, a dynasty startup mock draft. And one of the things we were talking about, Ryan, was treating running backs in dynasty like NFL teams are looking at their running back situation. And oftentimes they are favoring that draft pick, that rookie pick, because they can get them for cheap and they can, you know, the running back is just expendable, even with a Todd Gurley, a David Johnson, a Devontae Freeman, who, if you didn't sell high, now you're kind of questioning like what you did. Yeah, sure. Could Gurley and Johnson have good years? Yeah, they can. But I think we've seen their best at this point. Um, it would be a resurgence by either one of those if they proved me wrong here. So, you know, you kind of have to do that with the running backs in Dynasty. Um, you know, you look at guys like Leonard Fournette right now. Aaron Jones is a great example because if I'm looking at Aaron Jones right now, I don't think he's going to be a Packer next year. Now, that could be great for Aaron Jones. So you have to decide, okay, him not being a Packer, does does he go to a team where he's actually going to get 250 carries and, you know, 60 targets, uh, you know, so... Yeah, that, that's just something you have to consider. You have to look at their contracts. You have to be able to say, okay, you know what? I'm going to replace this position with a rookie. 
you know, just, just like you would in the NFL. So it's kind of how I look at that, the RB position in dynasty right now. Love that. Absolutely love that mentality. And kind of leads me to a secondary question that we didn't really plan on talking about. Uh, I haven't really seen any data on this, but, you know, just wanted to compare, you know, like our, we have Taylor versus CEH here. And, you know, there's big debates on who's better or whatnot. You know, me, me personally, uh, I feel like, with CEH having a little bit more passing game upside, but then, you know, so I already favor, you know, the high upside, uh, Andy Reed running backs, anyone that's been, uh, you know, no, anyone knows me knows I'm, I'm, I'm super high on the Andy Reed running backs. I love those 19.5, you know, PPR points per game. And, uh, you know, I will, I will take that all day, but something that I don't, don't think gets talked about enough is CEH was taken in the first round, which obviously is a rarity nowadays, but those first round running backs, they actually get that fifth year option. And so that makes them a little more tasty than somebody that might be taken like Taylor, like at the beginning of the second round uh, that doesn't get, you know, that, uh, that long of a, of, of a rope. Right. So, um, yeah. you know, do you guys have any thoughts on that? I, I really haven't given it a ton of thought, but I just, in the back of my mind, I feel like that's kind of like a, a little hidden piece of insulated value. I think if you're looking that far, then you're doing the right thing in Dynasty. If you're looking at the contract situation like that, then you're you're paying attention and you're you're reading the tea leaves of what the contract is telling you. Yeah, I think a, a lot of the analysis of the running back position in general this offseason has centered around uh, around contracts, and uh, the the idea has basically been we want these running backs on their rookie contract and, and when they get to that second contract or even when they're getting near that second contract, that's the time to sell in dynasty. So, um, you know, you were, you were talking about Aaron Jones and, um, you know, guys like Derek Henry fit that as well. He, he was just, uh, he, he got the franchise tag. And, and I mean, the players like that are, are kind of obvious sells. Uh, and I think it's, it's, everybody that played dynasty last year wanted to sell Aaron Jones high or sell Derrick Henry high. And, and it, it really just wasn't possible. They, they weren't carrying the value uh, to match their production. So I, I think if you, you know, really want to kind of get ahead of things, you have to start looking uh, at that top tier at, at Dalvin cook and Kamara and Mixon uh, and McCaffrey. And, you know, are you willing to sell those guys because they're all, uh, they're all nearing uh, either nearing their second contract or in, in McCaffrey's case already got that second contract. Yeah, that, that makes an absolute ton of sense. You know, it's uh, it's just something to be, you know, to think about, you know, when you are, when you are making those, uh, those picks. I know a lot of people already have their rookie drafts, but it's a little, uh, little tidbits, you know, we're out there trying to help you guys win. So this is uh, still something you can kind of put in your back pocket. Um, you just, it, speaking of, uh, you know, uh, how we're handling our, our teams and everything. Um, I wanted to ask you real quick about orphans, Ryan. Um, you know, I actually took over. It's kind of like my thing, dude. Like I, I love taking over orphan teams and I, it's getting to be like this sick, twisted fascination. Um, I took over uh, a really nasty orphan on safe leagues this year uh, that I, I just see it as more of a challenge. Um, you know, like if I'm drafting a startup, of course I'm going and I'm like, get my guys, a lot of dudes that I like, but an orphan, like I got to clean up a lot of crap that some other guy like just kind of threw together. 
Uh, for example, like I took over a, a team on safe leagues this year where there were nine Cowboys on the roster. I mean, I don't even know how that's possible, <laughs> but it was. Um, and lo and behold, man, like it has been the most fun I've had, like, especially during quarantine. Like, I'm so glad I did this right before everything kind of got uh, shut down. Um, this was just like a couple weeks before the NBA season kind of called it quits and everyone followed suit. But uh, it, it has been an absolute blast. I've probably made nine trades. And I just wanted to ask you, man, like what tips do you have for someone who might be thinking about taking over a safe leagues orphan or maybe just like some general things that dynasty owners might be doing wrong when they take over someone's old team? Uh, well, it sounds like you're you're doing things the right way, uh, first of all, because I think one thing is you have to be committed to that league. Uh, I think it's really easy to to take over an orphan uh, to to get frustrated, and a year in, you're you're giving up on that team, and uh, and now it's now it's an orphan once again. So, I think you've got to be committed to kind of the the long haul of a of a rebuild. Of course, not not every orphan is is always in bad shape, but that's that is often the case. Um, You've got to be active, which again, it sounds like you're doing that. Um, you know, make make some trades, make a lot of trades. Hopefully, you've got something of value, whether it's um, a couple of players or some uh, some picks that you can work with. Uh, but it's really fun to take over an orphan, uh, and it's it's not always fun to tear down the team. But if you take that team that's already kind of struggling, and and you can rebuild it. Uh, it, it, it does become really fun for sure. You, you just got to go in having patience, uh, knowing it's, it's likely a, a long-term project. Yeah, no doubt. Like if you guys are listening, man, go, go ahead and just pay for like the first, the next two years. Like I'm, I'm paid up for this year paid up for next year. You know, I mean, you know, you gotta, you gotta pay up anyway, if you want to deal out some of those future picks, if you're out there wheeling, dealing, and trying to take uh, one of these dumpster fire teams, like uh, you know, I, I, call, I, I titled this team "Too Many Cowboys." Uh, I know I, yeah, I'm down to Michael Gallup, so now I've renamed it only one cowboy. But um, <laughs> but you know, this this team, if I showed you guys side by side, you wouldn't even think that it's uh, the same team. But at the same time, you know, I had Zeke, and uh, you know, you kind of got to sell off, uh, you know, some of these good assets. If uh, I mean, this this was a team in full rebuild. I, you know, I'm not going to say it's a contender. But uh, she's a lot sexier than she used to be. That's for sure. So, um, but, you know, I just wanted to kind of pick your brain on that. So I'm glad we uh, took a few minutes to kind of go over that. Um, and, you know, if you guys have not done that, I strongly encourage you to do that. It's, it's, it's definitely a nice challenge. And, uh, you know, some guys that, uh, that I wish I had on that team, um, A.J. Brown, maybe D.K. Metcalf, maybe Debo Samuel, maybe – Scoring McLaurin. I mean, maybe Hollywood Brown or Deontay Johnson. I mean, we're talking about this 2019 wide receiver class. And, you know, one that we really haven't uh, seen, you know, massive production, maybe the, the class of 2014. Uh, but, you know, wanted to kind of get your guys' take on this here. Is everybody maybe getting too happy too soon with some of this rookie production from last season? Or is this one maybe one of the best wide receiver classes that we've ever seen? I'll, I'll start off and then because uh, I want to know your thoughts, Ryan, because, you know, 
I can't. I'm looking for it every day on fantasy Twitter. I'm just trying to find something bad on any of these players. Like any analyst out there has not said one bad thing about any of these players we're talking about right now with McLaurin, DK Metcalf, AJ Brown. I mean, you know, we're we're all calling for AJ Brown to be wide receiver two lock uh, for 2020. Um, you know, Terry McLaurin. I mean, his value is, is tremendous right now. Deontay Johnson has seen a climb that has made me even think about drafting him. So at this <laughs> point, I'm kind of off of Deontay a little bit in 2020. In Dynasty, I still love him. I still think he's a fine value in Dynasty. But, I mean, Ryan, like, I don't know if we've seen, you know, just these – all of these players had really, really good rookie seasons. Even Hollywood Brown, who had seven touchdowns, you know, in limited play – uh, you know, you saw the spark, even Deontay Johnson, those are just good rookie seasons. So like, do you have to temper expectations at a certain point or is this class just that good? Well, you probably, yeah, you, you do have to temper expectations. You have to be careful. It's, it's easy to, to let the hype get out of control on, on some of these players, especially when they are, you know, it's not just one individual player, but it's a group like this. Um, I mean, you guys mentioned a lot of the names, but uh, I, I think there's even more, you know, Darius Slayton, Nicole Hardman, Preston Williams, and and the wide receiver one, at least the guy we thought was the wide receiver one out of that class, right. uh, Nikhil Harry. So there's there's just so many of, uh, of these guys that even when, uh, you know, one or two of them ends up flopping, which is inevitable, the class as a whole is still going to be viewed as uh, as just a monster, which really is what we saw in uh, in 2014, especially with the wide receivers in, in in that year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was absolutely fantastic class. And, you know, lo and behold, five years later, just these guys, I mean, if you're watching Red Zone on Sunday, like man another rookie touchdown and it's like someone was housing a touchdown like every 20 minutes it seemed like it was nuts so uh just absolutely sky's the limit on a, on a ton of these guys um really like the price of hollywood brown in drafts this year and i know steve we talked about this quite a bit recently uh you mentioned dwayne haskins as well as kind of like a late scott fishbowl target um, that's kind of a sneaky stack. We, we talked when Debro came on last week about how sneaky the value of the Giants stack was. And, you know, Ryan, you mentioned how you were able to have some success with Daniel Jones last year. You know, I think maybe Haskins to McLaurin, the old uh, Buckeye combo, could be maybe one of those little sneaky late stacks. So I uh, kind of got my eye on that one as well. But yeah, Debo's really the only guy here that's kind of has a, you know, uh, maybe a little ding in his value, obviously, with the injury situation there. But Man, I just love what these guys are doing. Um, you know, real quick, one thing I wanted to ask you guys, you know, see DK Metcalf starting to go ahead of Tyler Lockett, which I don't know, man. I think that might be a little bit disrespectful for Tyler Lockett. What say you, Steve? Yeah, for redraft, it definitely is. Um, and, you know, I, I think it was uh, Matt Kelly who said something like alluding to like, look, if these both of these guys are you know going to be that good in 2020, then maybe drafting Russell Wilson is really the answer. Um, and I agree with that. Um, but when it comes to DK, like before Debo went down, you know, it, it, I looked at DK and Debo McLaurin as a tier. And 
with any tier, I'm usually trying to get the best value. I don't want to necessarily, like if I'm going to get that first guy, I don't want to have to reach for him. So I'm usually getting the, 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 the back end of that. And that would be Terry McLaurin. And I'm still looking at that. Um, DK Metcalf, look, it, he, he's like a touchdown guy. And I think that he can have something like 10, around 10 touchdowns. And if he gets that for you, you know, you're chasing that. But with McLaurin, he just, you know, to me, he can be that wide receiver one uh, type of player because he is really dynamic. Um, he's, he has a quarterback that is going to want to feed him. Um, you know, it's going to be tough to rely on that Redskins offense on week to week, you know, basis. But McLaurin's going to be your wide receiver three, maybe even wide receiver four. So it, it's not like you're, you know, you have to worry too much about that. You're going to have to pay up for DK. And so, you know, between the two, I'm just kind of looking at, like, I, I would rather have McLaurin because um, I feel better about his value where I can get him where I want without having to reach. Any thoughts on Seattle wideouts, Ryan? Yeah, I love DK in, in Dynasty, and um, he's actually pretty comfortably ahead of, of Lockett in Dynasty ADP. But I, I think in redraft, that's that still has to be uh, that still has to be reversed. Uh, but I, I don't know. You meant you mentioned uh, Antonio Brown earlier. It's kind of like, he, you know, maybe he's looming here to really uh, throw off the value of of uh, both of those guys. But yeah, yeah. totally agree on Russell Wilson. Absolutely. Would would love to have him on any league. Yeah, no doubt. Let's just hope that uh, if that news breaks, it breaks soon, like uh, while we're adding this bad boy up, and that way we can either uh, just pull a, pull the Seattle wide receiver yeah. talk or not. But uh, but Ryan, really appreciate you coming on here and uh, and talking about uh, everything here related to Dynasty and Scott Fishbowl as well, man. Uh, you want to give people a real quick reminder where they can get a hold of your latest work and uh, maybe even let them know about the Champions Cup if you'd like. Uh, sure, you can find all of my work at Dynasty League Football. Uh, we've we've got a lot going on there. You can find me on Twitter at RyanMC23. Uh, and yeah, we're we're we have partnered with uh, Safe Leagues and with Scott Fish to uh, to to host the DLF Champion Cup Series. Really cool format that Scott put together. Basically, four leagues uh, battle it out. Just just kind of your normal. Uh, 12 team super flex setup, but then the uh, the team from those four leagues with the most points. There's kind of a, a hockey point system that that he's put together. Uh, basically, you get points for uh, for making the playoffs, for winning titles, for scoring the most points in a season, things like that. So the the team from the the four group of four that scores the most points after three years wins a big thousand uh, dollar prize on top of their winnings throughout the uh, the seasons and and then it just keeps going after that so it's it's kind of a, a dynasty league built in three-year segments love that absolutely love that who doesn't like a little bit of juice on top that's uh, that's fantastic kind of little a uh, little sweetener like that uh, like the safe leagues um, you know consecutive back-to-back uh, -back pot that they run. Uh, absolutely love that. Ex excellent twist on that. And uh, again, Ryan, thanks. Thanks for coming on, my man. We really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, again, thanks. Thanks for helping me out earlier today as well. And want to give you guys a real quick reminder here. Uh, of course, Steve and I will be on the SFB Potathon 
Uh, shout out to Salito. A reminder that you guys will be on late Sunday night, early Monday morning. It's a 1.30 Eastern, so you know you could be uh, kicking it at 10.30 West Coast time with us if you'd like as well. Um, any final thoughts, Steve, before we get out of here? No, oh, yeah, 10.30 Pacific time. You know, if you're coming in, you check the surf, coming in from those waves uh come check us out you know it's gonna be fun we're gonna be live uh talking some scott fishbowl uh so don't miss it and then uh you know you can uh, also go over to playerprofiler.com and uh, check out any of my work over there uh for the world famous draft kit that just came out um some really cool stuff over there i did a couple profiles uh evan ingram uh kareem hunt a couple guys like that so go over there and check that out but uh we'll see you over there at the uh, sfb podathon Good stuff. Yeah, looking forward to that as well. And on behalf of our guest, Ryan McDowell, and my co-host, Stephen Taroni, I'm Josh Daly, and this has been the Hot Take Podcast.